Well, I'm going to start off with the title tonight so we can get that out of the way. If you could go ahead and put that entitled mentality. Now, this is a personal message for me that I'm going to share with you. And um, I've been going through some struggles, just struggling to keep my head above water. And uh, all that changed Sunday morning. So I want to jump right into the Word real quick because we've got a, a little bit of scriptures we've got to get out of the way and then we're going to get into some good stuff. So we're going to start off in Exodus chapter 3. Amen. And we're going to start at verse 7 and we're going to go through 10. Now everyone knows the story. This is the Israelites... And um, we know that they're in Egypt and they're being abused. They're defeated. They're overcome. There is a great power over them. Pharaoh is their Lord. But God wants to call them out. He's seen the oppression. And the Lord said, and he's speaking to Moses, I have indeed, indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because they're slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Pezzarites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelis has reached me, Israelites, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. In verse 10 it says, So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. If you go back and you notice, the Lord said, I am going to take them out of Egypt. I am going to send them in a land. I am going to give them a land flowing with milk and honey. And that, that's, that description is uh, that word milk. It actually means cream, the top portion of the milk. You know how we say with the cream of the crop? That's the good stuff. The fat. Flowing with cream and honey. <laughs> hey, those are great promises from God. And he said he's going to do it. And so Moses goes down into Egypt with this message. And let's go to Leviticus chapter 20 because you're gonna, we're going to hear something over and over and over. And these are the promises of God. In Leviticus chapter 20, verses 23 and 24. And this is, uh, he's delivered them out of Egypt. They didn't have to lift a finger. The most that they had to do was celebrate a meal and put a little blood on their doorposts. But they didn't have to fight Pharaoh. The Lord did it all. He delivered them with his mighty hand. And here they are, and they're getting the law. They're getting God's commandments and God's promises. And in Leviticus chapter 20, verses 23 and 24, the Lord is speaking. And he says, you must not live according to the customs of the nations, 
listen to what it says. I am going to drive out before you. Because they did all these things. I abhor them. Who's going to drive them out? God will. He says, because they did all these things, I abhorred them. But I say to you, you will possess their land. And notice again. It says, but I say to you, you will possess their land. I will give it to you as an inheritance. Man, that sounds like a deal. God's going to give us the land and he's going to drive out the inhabitants. How blessed could they be? It's amazing. They were just suffering. It must be because they were suffering as Egyptians. They must. You know what? They, had, they were slaves, and now God has given them this land. It must be because they suffered so much. Mm. So now it's time for them to lay, their, lay hold, their eyes upon the promise. God has been telling them he's going to do it for them. And now we're going to see. This is the portion where they get ready to send the spies into the land to check out these promises that God has been uh, telling them about. And so we're going to look at Numbers chapter 13. So the Lord says to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving them from each ancestral tribe send one of its leaders so each tribe sends one of their leaders a couple of their leaders to go in and they go spy out the land and they're going to come back and they spend 40 days you know i I like you read something so many times you listen you forget a lot of details it took them 40 days to go spy out the land you know they didn't go in and come back in two days and with a report, 40 days they're out there. It's a vast land. It's good land. And so let's look at this report. Let's go down to Numbers 13 and verse 26. And we're going we're gonna to read all the way through 29. It says, They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. Everybody came because they wanted to hear about the promised land. They had been hearing that God's going to give them this land, and this was they teeming with excitement. They just can't wait. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Look at that exclamation mark. It does. Mm. Here is its fruit. They even brought some fruit back, some first fruits. It says, but the people, oh man, but the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and they're very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. Mm. The Amalekites live in the Gav. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. 
report had come that it was exactly how God had said. It's flowing with milk and honey. There's a promised land. Well, guess what? The inhabitants there, they like their land. That's why they're living there, and they're not going to give it up. They're not going to lay down and die without fighting. Even though God promised it to them, there's somebody living there. And these people are coming up out of the desert under a slave mentality, and they keep hearing, God is going to do this, and God is going to give me this, and God is going to do this for me. And when they hear that there are fortified cities, man, there's even the sons of Anak there. The, uh, how do you, what, what do they call them? The Nephilim. Are the... Um, yeah. Giants in the land. Seriously? Yeah, it's the best land. It's, one, it's, it's some of the strongest cities in all the earth. Why? Because the land is so valuable that it's a dog-eat-dog world. And the, only the strong can dwell there. And here you have a group of slaves coming out who have no experience at nothing. And God says, you see it? Let's go get it. And they choke up. They choke up. Look what they say. Look at verse 31. Man, but when the men had gone up with him, said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report. Now, these are the spies, and these are people spreading bad reports. It's moving around. And discouraging the people, their hearts are fainting. And it says they uh, spread around bad reports about the land they had explored. I thought it was good. But, but their report became bad. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. And the people we saw there are great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in their own eyes, and we look the same to them. Now, this is the same land that Caleb saw. These are the same giants that Caleb saw. And here these people are. They've heard, oh, God is going to give us these things. He's going to drive them out. And now when they realize they have to, the land, the promise doesn't look all that great. Promise looks kind of bad. It gets gets real bad. I wish that it just stopped there, but it doesn't. Look at Numbers um, chapter 14. Man, it says, That night all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If we only had died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Won't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Isn't it funny? We've had a couple think it's better to go back to Egypt. Did they see the giant in their promised land? 
Did they see the giant in their promised land and they kept hearing, oh, God's going to do it, God's going to do it, but they didn't realize it was time for war? And then when, you, when the giant becomes bigger than your God, you desire to go back to Egypt. The promise doesn't look all that great anymore. Why is the Lord bringing us, oh, us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Now it's God's fault. Man, they, what kind of, what is wrong with their thinking? You can go ahead to the uh, fourth verse. And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. At, right there at the edge of the promised land, they choke up. And they, then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephthah, who were among those who explored the land, they tore their clothes. They are grieved at how the Israelites are acting and said to the entire assembly, this is, this is Jacob and this is Caleb. They went and saw the land, and look what they said. The land we passed through and explored, it's exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the peoples of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. They're trying to rally the troops and they're discussing among themselves and said, let's just stone them. It's funny that when people fail to go in and get their promised land, they want to stone their leaders. They want to throw stones. It's somebody else's fault. See, their mentality was they're entitled to this land and God is just going to do it for them. That's what he promised. That's what he promised. The... The greatest gain with the least least amount of effort. Look at, let's just jump down to 24 real quick. We all know that because of what they said, God said, that's fine. You're not going in. You're not going in because of your unbelief, because of your mindset. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. We we know the story. Caleb just doesn't say, hey, see you guys later. I'm the one going in the promised land. He's got to go spend... 40 years in the desert and watch them all fall. But he can endure it because God said, this is not going to be so with Caleb. I'm going to give him the promised land because he has a different spirit. What the Lord is saying is because he is not, he doesn't have the same outlook. His spirit, a man's spirit, his outlook on the promises of God are completely different Amen. than those that think they're entitled to it 
Because you know why? Because maybe they were in slavery. Maybe they were beat down and now God owes them this land. And God's going to do it for them. So tonight, I want to talk about possessing the promises. Amen. I, I want to talk about having that same spirit that Caleb had. I mean, can you imagine him getting on the edge? He's ready for fighting. He's ready for war. And now he's got to go with all these whining and complaining people and wait for them to die. Man, that's got to be, that's harder than going and, and uprooting the, the Anakins and the uh, Nephilim and, and the Jebusites and the Hittites and the rest of them. But most of us, myself including, I want to possess all that God has for us. I want to know the promises of God. I want to live in that promised land that God promised me. And you'll hear, we had a movement back in the day, and it was called the Faith Charismatic Movement, where all they said was, brother, you just need to have more faith. You need to have more faith. Well, it's not all just faith, faith, faith. It's not. It's not all just faith, faith, faith. And I'm going to show you how that is an entitled mentality. There's more ways to obtain God's promises than just believing for them. There's more. And and I found, I started reading the scriptures and I was amazed at all the ways that God says we can obtain his promises. Let's start with the first one. Boom, obedience. What's that got to do with the hyper-faith movement? Believe enough? No. What about obedience? How can obedience give us the things that God promised? Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Because I wish it was all by faith, because then I could just believe, 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 and no sweat, huh? That's it. Just believe. I'll pray one time, and I'm done. I'll just, I just wait for the check to come in the mail. Verses 2 and 3, it says, Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment, whoa, with a promise. And this is the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So what's the promise? That it will go well with us and that we have a long life? Well, how do you achieve that? By faith and believing? He said, by obedience, obey, honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. So keeping God's commandments, there's a blessing involved. I thought it was just, I just got to believe hard enough. You see, you can be a hyper faith person and be in sin and disobedience thinking that because you have enough faith that God is somehow amazed by your great faith. And he's going to bless you with what your heart's desire is. That's the truth. 
But God told the Israelites, if you will go in the land and you do all that I tell you to do, you'll possess it. Look at Deuteronomy 28. That's what I was just alluding to and make mentioning of. We're going to probably hit a lot of scriptures tonight. Well, I saved the fight for last. But we're going to get a few of these out of the way because it's not all about faith, faith, faith. It's about obedience. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commandments, I give you today the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth. The promise is, it says, all these blessings will come on you and a Accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. Wow. That's, isn't it amazing that the Church of America doesn't talk about obedience anymore? It talks about the promises, though, and that God is so good that he desires to give them, and, and we are entitled to them. And we do not have to live obedient because we're all just sinners, right? And Jesus, Jesus purchased our blessings. Do you know an entitlement or entitle is a legal term? And it says that you actually have the right to something. And the entitlement mentality says, I have a right to this because of something someone else did and not me. And so part of our blessing, part of God saying, look, I'm going to rise you up as a nation and you're going to be better than every other nation. You're going to be above every nation if you're obedient. So the promises was tied to something and it was called obedience. And he gave them a clear law so they knew when they were obeying and when they were disobeying. And if they followed it, they'd be the greatest nation on the earth. They would be called God's people. They would dwell in the land that has been fought over and is still continuing to be fought over. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 1, verse 19. This is, this is the scripture that God gave me and Teresa when we moved here. We sold our house and we moved into the um, extended stay hotel room, which was about the size of that closet back there. <laughs> but it didn't bother us because you can ask Trace, we thought we were going to buy just this little tiny house and we were going to suffer for Christ and we were willing. We were willing. And then when the blessing started coming, we were like, no, no God, this is not what we had in mind. We weren't expecting blessing. And the Lord spoke to Teresa and he said, if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best from the land. Amen. That if we be willing and obedient, that we would eat the best from the land. Willing and obedient. And so a lot of things had to change in our understanding because we were, we were looking at this place that's probably condemned now. They probably <laughs> tore it down. Uh, it was it was locked and there was papers on it because it looked like that the outside wall fascia was going to fall over. And Teresa said, she said, Lord, if this is what you called us to, if this is it, 
will take it. And that's when the Lord spoke that scripture to her. She didn't think she was entitled to the best because she's a, kid, uh, a king's kid, right? You know, the more I got to looking at this, I got to see the disgusting movement that had passed a while back that said, you gotta, you, God wants you blessed so you can appear to be a king's kid. It's called spoiled brats, entitled. Think they're entitled to everything. Now, God wants you blessed, but through obedience, he wants you to obtain the promises of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. Mm. It says, let us therefore make every effort, that word means strive, to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience, who's there? Israelites. Let us make every effort to enter into the rest, the promise, so that none of us will fall by following their example. They were an example. Israel was given to us for an example. And it's so funny that we say, man, they were were just, man, they must have been some, Dumb people. They're right there at the edge of the promise. And they didn't go in. But yet, we don't have what God promised us. And we think that, no, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have, we would have been completely different than all the rest. Where out of an entire nation, there was only two who had a different mindset. They're the only two that entered in. Let's go to the next one. So, Obedience is required in the kingdom of God to obtain the promises of God. So disobedient children can expect nothing from the Lord except for correction. That's right. Let's look at discipline. That's a tough one. Jesus said, I've called you to be my believers No, actually, he said, I've called you to be my. Wow, that word means discipline. It means training, restraining, correcting. Um, Getting to a point where you don't do what you want to do. You do what the teaching is producing in you. It's called discipline. And he said, if you want to be my disciple, you're going to have to deny yourself. So let's look at some scriptures where discipline causes us to inherit the things that God has for us. I told you, it wasn't all about faith tonight. <laughs> but we're going to get to the fight in the end. This is, this is just the opening act for the big fight. Amen. You know, you got a couple of no-namers fighting there before the big fight, but everybody came for the big fight. So we're going to go through a few of them. Discipline. Let's go to Psalms 94, 12. Blessed is the one you discipline. Lord, the one you teach from your law. Wow. 
Blessed is the man you discipline. So look, if you lack discipline, you aren't blessed. <laughs> if you are lacking discipline in your life, you are the reason why you do not have the blessing of God. Because it comes through discipline. It comes by the Lord teaching us to obey His law. It's written on our heart. Let's look at the next one. Let's look at Proverbs. Wow. Proverbs 12.1. That's a common one. It says, Whoever loves disciplines loves Knowledge. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. Y'all love discipline? As a kid, I didn't like discipline. In fact, I thought my parents were just mean. I despised discipline. And I suffered for it. I guess that's why the scripture says to honor your mother and father and you'll live long. There you go. Mm-hmm. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is just plain stupid. Wise in their own eyes. You see, the fool is the wisest person he knows. And if, <laughs> and if you just knew how wise he was, you would listen to his counsel. But if we love discipline... We love knowledge and we love correction. Love correction. Now I love correction. When I get corrected by the Lord, you know what I say? Thank you, Lord, for not leaving me to myself. Because what you've shown me, if I can put it into practice, it's going to bring blessing. And right now I'm talking in general terms, but I'm going to get a little more personal. You see, we want... Things gained by a dif- disciplined lifestyle without being disciplined. That's true. Let, let's just get real practical. I'm, I'm 40 this year. It's not a good thing. Because I realize, there you go. I realize that if I live undisciplined, there's a consequence. And and that consequence didn't show up until I'm about 35, 40. The consequences started showing up. And look, I'm hurting all over and I'm crying out to God. Oh, Lord, your promises. You know, um, I can't sleep at night. None of my clothes are fitting. Uh, Lord, I need healing in my body. And the Lord says, why don't you discipline your diet some? (laughs) You see, (laughs) I told you I was going to get... I have a history of diabetes in my family. And so can I live an undisciplined life and the onset of diabetes come and I cry, oh God, give me healing. When for 20 years the Holy Spirit was trying to discipline me, saying, you don't eat that. Don't do this. Don't do that. Eat this. Really, God? I got to eat that? But it's discipline. See, if I hate correction... I'm stupid if I don't allow him to correct me. And you think, well, what is that? Hey, when you start getting at 40, health is a big thing. You start seeking the God for healing, but you realize that most of it is damaged because of an undisciplined lifestyle. And I want, to cl- I want the promises 
but I don't want to live disciplined, right? That is, the, that is the mentality of someone who's entitled. I'm going to eat what I want. And when I'm sick, I'm going to cry out to the Lord to heal this body. Because he wants to heal me, right? Proverbs 22, verse 6. Also, what about finances? You get in financial trouble. I mean, real bad. You, you just bought a new vehicle. You can't pay for it. This goes wrong. That goes wrong. You lost your job. Oh, Lord, deliver me from my enemy. Oh, really? You're the enemy. If we would be responsible with what he's given us, then we would be blessed. Not with more, but blessed with what we have. Instead of what we have bringing us into bondage. And so the, the hyper-faith person says, I can live how I want and claim the promises of God because I'm God's child. And the more he blesses me, the better he looks as God. That's their mentality. And the real sons of God are saying, God, discipline me because the way I'm living is not bringing you any glory. What I'm doing, you know, bad credit doesn't glorify God. Neither does bad health. It doesn't glorify God. Proverbs 22.6, train up. I'm going to go King Jimmy on us. <laughs> train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child in the way that he should go. Okay, there's a promise there. The pro- How many of us? want your children to serve the Lord. And we pray every night that they serve the Lord, right? What the Lord said, did don't pray about it. Train them up correctly. Because when they become hellions, you can pray all you want. And God's going to say, I gave you all this time to train them up. The blessing sometimes is in discipline. Sometimes it's in obedience. It's in training your child. But we struggle because, you know what, we want to give our children the things of the world and all we're doing is developing an appetite for the world. And we think when they turn 18, they're going to be on fire for God and they're going to be responsible with finances and they're going to be just, you know, great servants of God. But we have slowly fed them the world and they hunger for it. And now we don't know. Look, I brought them to church every Sunday. We, they were in Sunday school. But yeah, but they, they grew up watching the Disney Channel 30 hours a week. And now they, and look, you know who come from the Disney Channel? Myri Silas. All these people. They come out of that stuff. And so what's the difference? They watched her when she was innocent. Now they watch her when she's profane. We, we, whatever you develop a hunger for, I, I, I hated Greek food the first time I ate it. I did. But it was the closest restaurant to where I worked. And my boss loved going there and he'd say, hey, I'm paying. You want to go? I love Greek food now. <laughs> because I developed an appetite for it. Whatever your children are doing right now, can you imagine them being 35, doing that all day long? 
Okay, I'm going to move on. Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he won't depart. That's a promise, and that's a promise I want for my household. I want that promise. And look, there's giants in that land. We're about to get into the fight. Go ahead and give me that next slide. Shameless audacity. That's, uh, Mike brought that word. He didn't even know that was in the, the uh, newest version of the NIV. He shared that with me tonight. When he shared shameless audacity, it actually says that in the 2011 or 12 NIV. Shameless audacity. And that's the only way I, I can explain or describe Caleb. Just, just a go-getter, ready to go. And so now we're going to talk about the fight. We're going to talk about the... Um, where the fists start flying and flesh meet flesh and we war against powers and principalities. We war because there's something in the land that God has called us to go and possess. I mean, have not we been learning on Monday nights that there is evil force that thinks that this is its world and it's not, it belongs to us and we're to dethrone it? Okay, well, we're going to go there tonight. Joshua. Chapter 14, verses 6 through You know, Caleb spent the 40 years, and this is after the 40 years. He's ready to go in. In fact, if you look at it chronologically and you look at it um, how it went, we're at war. We're called to go to war. We are called to remove something that doesn't want to be removed because it thinks that's its promised land. And it's not going to just say, oh, I'm sorry, this was your table. We have to go to war. See, that's what melted their hearts. They thought that God was going to show up and the Amalekites were going to run scared. They thought that God was going to show up and the giants were going to flee. And they didn't realize that the enemy was going to put up a resistance. They were going to have to fight for this thing. They were going to have to fight. And... That they kind of missed that whole part when God said, I was going to bring you into a land flowing with milk and honey where the Jebusites and the Hittites live. You know, they heard the good, they heard the good stuff. They heard, you only have to pay $320 a month, but they didn't tell you it was for seven years. Now, Joshua... Well, let me, let me just share how I got this and, and where I'm at. Because it, it, I, I feel like I have a, a new lease on life, a, a refreshing, because I was struggling. My goodness. The winter was hard on me. I mean, since Dustin left, uh, he, he was a pillar in, my, in the ministry we were doing together. And I, I couldn't get it back together. I, I, we was just going through the motions on Curtis. 
for months, just going through them because we refused to give up, but we wasn't taking any ground. And I'm not one to give up, but boy, I was wanting to bad. I'd show up at McDonald's and hope nobody else would. So I could go back home. I'm just being honest with you. Then I got disgusted with myself. I got disgusted with my prayer life. I got just disgusted with everything. I'm like, man, why can't I shake this thing? Why, Why can't I break loose? What is going on? And it all came to a head. And Alex was there. Sunday morning, remember that guy that was sitting right there, the demoniac? He went to get on the bus Sunday morning. We had to stop him. And at first, I didn't think not knowing it. And then it just started to eat at me because God had given me some promises that we were going to set the captives free. That we were going to set men free. And here I am, turning him away from the bus. Say, I'm sorry. We don't have nothing for you. And so I'm riding back on the bus. I am just totally disgusted with myself. Ready to quit. Because God had spoke to us and said, you're going to go and you're going to demonstrate Matthew 10. Because it says it. And that's the promise. And I didn't have the promise. Because I thought I was just entitled to it without a fight. And here I am ready to quit. I don't know where y'all think I'd have went. Back to Egypt? I'm not going in the promised land if I quit. And so I'm crying out to God and I got this message. And it just, it shook me. It woke me up. Wow, I got to fight for the promises of God? It's just not owed me because I'm a king's kid? That I'm, I am... I am at war, and all I've been doing is feeding them as their captives. I haven't gone to war and done what it took to break those bonds off. And we're going to talk about that tonight. We're going to talk about obtaining the promises of God through those things, through war and fighting Because I found out that there was some some easy land to conquer. But they got some giants in the land. They got fortified cities. And you know what? When the Israelites looked at the fortified city, they said, how are we going to take that? And Caleb was saying, you know how awesome that's going to be? They built a wall for us. When when it's ours, we're going to have fortified cities. We're going to have vineyards. We're going to have great land. He just looked at it completely different. And not only that, we've been in battle. There's been a lot of battles being waged. And I got crushed again because I began to see warring. I began to see everybody in battle. And my poor, pathetic prayer life was a religious activity instead of me going to war. I was making mention of the issues we were going through. 
I was praying for Steve and them, but I'd be like, Lord, I love you. You know, I lift up Steve and Dee Dee to you. I lift up the McLeans and Riley. But I wasn't warring. I had this mentality, mentality if God's going to do it, then he's going to do it. And he doesn't need me warned. And that's why I didn't have what, I, in my ministry, what I felt that the Lord had promised me. It wasn't, God's not the problem. I wasn't going to war. I wasn't prepared to fight. I wasn't fighting the good fight. And so you have Caleb here. And now Caleb, I, you know what? Caleb went and he fought for all his brother's land first. Okay, so 40 years he spends in the desert. Then he comes in the land and he fights with all his brothers for their possession. He's the last one to get his, his inheritance. He's fighting for, with his brother. And what about the two tribes, um, Dan and what's the other one that said, hey, we like the land here on the east side of Jordan. And God said, don't you dare. Not until you go fight with your brothers. So they will have, unless their hearts faint. God has called us to fight together. I'm talking fight. If I knew that someone in the church was getting beat up, do you think I'd pray about it? i go and break the fight up. Amen. I'd join in with my brother. And so I had to realize that my little mentioning of them in my prayer life didn't scare the giants at all. Because I didn't come. I mean, I wasn't like Caleb saying, I'm ready, I'm ready. In fact, he says, give me the mountain that has the giants on it, because that's what I want. I want the land that was the hardest to get. I want that for my reward. That, that, that was not the spirit that I had. I had this mentality that we were entitled to the promises of God because woe is me, you know. And God said, if you want any of my promises, you're going to have to fight for them. And so some things just started clicking. And so... Uh, changed my perspective on, a, on the whole kingdom of God. Joshua chapter 14, verse 6 through 15. Now look, I'm going to read through it real quick. <clears throat> it says, Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb son of Jephunneh and Kenizzite said to him, I practice all those names before I preach. And I butcher them every time. I could say them perfect this morning. That sounded great. <laughs> <laughs> he says, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh uh, Barnea, about you and me? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made, their, made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. 
Verse 10 says, Now then, just as the Lord promised, He has kept me alive for 45 years since the time He said this to Moses. So He's 85. Boy, He's got a lot of spunk in Him. He was 40. He was my age when they saw the promised land. And now he's 85, and he's got every bit of fight still in him. While Israel moved about in the wilderness, so here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country. You see, King Jimmy says, mountain. Give me this mountain. That the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there. Those are the sons of Anna. Anna. They were giants. How do I know? Because it's about to say it. Were there and their cities were large and fortified. He's just looking at, this is the best area. It's the hardest to conquer. So when I'm in it, I won't be conquered. Their cities are fortified. I'm getting fortified cities. I mean, his mindset was, it's his. He's going to get it. He said, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Look, Hebron used to be called Kiriath Arba, after Arba, who was the greatest man among the Anakites. The greatest warrior lived in that land. And here's Caleb, 85, and says, the greatest warrior, he's on my mountain. <laughs> and so I just got refreshed. I, I just got the fight back. Amen. I just got the fight back. But you know what? I realized I got to fight with my brother for their inheritance. Yes. I mean, we have the McLeans in a fight. And, I, and, I, and since Sunday, I've been fighting with them. Amen. Before that, the pathetic prayers that I was offering up didn't scare anything. Now, you got to realize, Caleb is going in the land, but there's resistance there. So we're going to look at the resistance because this is going to clear up so much. This is going to clear up where these faith, faith, faith people get it all wrong. The resistance. Can you give me that slide? I want, to, I want you to think about the resistance. There is a resisting force to our promise. Entitled Christians think they have to beg their heavenly father. Spoiled children beg their father in the store, their mother in the store, and when they don't get what they want, all out hissy fit. That's how some of our prayer life sounds to God. <laughs> God, I believe you said it is going to be mine. We just, 
kicking around on the Walmart floor. You see those children sometimes. You're like, boy, if that was my kid. <laughs> and that's how we pray sometimes to the Lord because we're not getting what we want. Let's go to Luke 11. This I got yesterday, and it just completely changes everything, everything for me. Luke 11, okay, we know that the Lord, when Jesus taught parables, that there was usually a life lesson, either before the parable or after the parable, to give us real good understanding. The parables aren't just like there for no reason. Things happen before the parable and after the parable so we could get an understanding of the parable. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So Jesus is praying there. And his disciples see and, hey, teach us to pray like you pray. I mean, come on, we all, you know what that tells me? We all need to be taught how to pray. Yeah. I think the disciples were realizing that Jesus' uh, prayer life was extremely effective. <laughs> <laughs> and theirs was so subpar. It just compelled in comparison. Let's, uh, let's just keep going. It says, uh, when you pray, say this. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, suppose... Okay, then he says to them, this is the key. I need you guys to open up and listen to what he says. Then he said to them, it has to do with prayer and it has to do with resistance. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. There's the resistance. Not only is it late, my door is locked, my children are in bed, and I can't get up and give you anything. There's a resistance there. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. I always thought that's how we're to pray to God. Because I thought God was the resistance. You see, I thought God was reluctant to bless us. And I needed to just hammer God and hammer God and hammer God until I got it. Watch what Jesus says right after this. He says, I don't want you to think that your father is like this at all. Because he says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Look at this next scripture. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door is open. Give me the next one. Which are you fathers? If your son asks for a fish, will you give resistance? You're going to resist when your child asks. 
He said, this man's not giving it to you because he's your friend. Look, that which is resisting us is not our friend. God said, it is his delight to give us the kingdom or is he reluctant to give us the kingdom? He wants to. Look, Jesus is saying, which of you fathers are not going to give your children what they need or what's promised to them? Bread, fish, food. God wants to give us the promises, but there is an enemy who is the resistance. God is not the resistance. It gets, even, it gets better. Give me the next one. If you then, though you were evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will God give it to us? You see, the parable before was showing the resistance. And he said, he's not giving it to you because he's your friend. It's because you are persistent enough to get it. God is not reluctant. He is not saying, no, you can't have it. No, you can't. And you just don't break God down and God says, all right, I'm tired of you begging. He says, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? People who don't get filled with the Holy Ghost, you think God is saying, "Mm, I don't know. He ain't begged me enough. Something is resisting and God wants to, but you have to pass through the resistance. You got to fight through the resistance. Look, some people, they don't have to fight for it. I fought for it for months. And if I'd have fought, quit the fight, I wouldn't have got the promise. That's right. And God wasn't reluctant to give it to me. And you weren't fighting with God for it. Now watch this. This is amazing because you know how sometimes uh, Luke tells a story and then Matthew and Mark will tell the story, but it becomes more clear because there's a different aspect being told. Let's, watch what happens immediately after this. Let's go into the next scripture. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. Okay, so the demon, he's blind and mute. The demon has property. And he's not just going. See, I've been going fighting principalities with a begging prayer life. with a, Thinking God is the resistance. And it's not God that's the resistance. Look, as immediately after he tells them this. Here's a life example. Jesus is going to show it to them. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. Let me see something. Is that, is that were we in Luke before? We were in Luke. Um, can we go back to Luke chapter 11? Because it talks about the same. This one in Matthew, it says he was blind and mute. And back in Luke, it says that he was mute. And he cast a demon out of him. So it's the same story. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke and the crowd was amazed. What's the next one? But some of them said, by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. 16. Others tested him by asking for a sign. Okay, didn't they say something about... I'm telling you. But, but you know what? They refused to believe it because he must be doing this by the power of Beelzebub. Now let's go to Matthew. Same instance. 
They challenge him also. And watch what he says the resistance is. He says, Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. So the question is, well, you know, I, I... I have a sickness. I don't know if it's a devil or I don't, or it just might be natural causes. Well, he was blind and mute. The blindness was probably natural causes and the mute was the devil. Does it matter? The solution is both the same. Amen. It's both resistance. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? Next scripture. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that his follow his This fellow drives out demons. Give me the next scripture. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. Satan's not even that stupid. He's in this to win this. He thinks he is. He's in it to win it, and you're going to have to remove him from it by the power of God. He goes, how then can his kingdom stand? Give me the next scripture. And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. Now look, a teaching lesson. What's the next scripture? Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's? house and carry off his possessions. Now you have to understand this is all being demonstrated right after the parable of praying and being persistent enough against the resistance. And how many times I thought God is the resistance. That somehow I've got to pray or live in such a way that God's resistance is broken away and he, he blesses me. And that we've got to pray because God is reluctant. He really wants to heal me, but i got to press in with my faith. Faith, watch, I'm, I'm about to change that whole perspective. The strong man is the man who thinks it's his property, and God has given us a mandate to go claim what is ours. But you have to first bind the strong man before you can carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man. Then he can rob his house. Give me the next scripture. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Okay, so questions are all flying up. Well, what about if we don't get healed? What about if we don't do these things? Let's talk about revival for a second. Let's just look at revival because you got either God is, there's only two ways revival works. I narrowed them down to two ways. Same thing with life. It either evolved or God created it. There's no two other ways, okay? There's only two ways revival can happen. It's either a sovereign move of God, and he just picks whoever he wants to pour out his spirit on. Are there some people who say, revival is my inheritance, and we're going to pray, and we're going to press through the resistance until we get it. So I started researching revivals. Do you know every revival started from prayer meetings? People getting desperate for the presence of God, going to war in the heavens. None of them, it just the spirit fell on them. 
They were pressing through the resistance, keeping them from having. In that, look, God is not the resistance. God wants us to have revival. But if we think we're entitled to it without going to war, we won't have it. Look, the most entitled people on the earth, they're, they're homeless. They don't have nothing. That's right. Because if someone doesn't give it to them, then they can't have it. It's left them in poverty, but the church is in poverty. That's a good word. And so we need to know what the resistance is, and we need to go to war against it because it's sitting on our cities. It's sitting on our promises. And I don't want to go back to the desert. And I got to fight with you for you to get your promises. I have to fight with you for you to get your promises. So we all can obtain the promises of God. So listen, this is, I went and I found some stuff on revival. 19, uh, 1792 to 1800s. These are the awakenings. This movement had started in Britain through, through William Carey, Andrew Fuller, and John, I don't know how to say his last name, and other leaders who began what the British called the Union of Prayer. Revival. Look, they said they, they were sick and tired of the Presbyterian church or whatever it was. There was no life in it, so they said, let's get together and pray. And they prayed and they prayed and they fought in the heavenlies. They went to battle against the principalities to have what they thought was theirs. And they got it. 1858 to 1860, another awakening. In September 1857, a man of prayer, Jeremiah Lamphire, started a businessman's prayer meeting. It started from a businessman's prayer meeting. So is God just a sovereign God and he chooses who to pour out revival on? Or is it there for those who go get it, who fight for it? Well, the scripture says, bless are the hung, those that hunger and thirst. I don't know if I can even understand that because I think hungry is I hadn't eaten my value meal since noon. And I'm pretty hungry right now. What do I want? I ain't never been real hungry. Well, I'm willing to risk my life to eat and dying of thirst. So he said, blessed are those who are desperate for life. They're going to get it. And so we have examples of men who pressed in to get revival. And we pray for revival, but you've got to fight for it. You gotta. You have to go. Look, we don't fight against flesh and blood. What do we fight against? Oh, powers and rulers that's trying to keep the church not moving in the power that God gave to it. God is not reluctant to give us revival in any way. There is something sitting on our fortified city. There's giants in the land. 1904 to 1905, the Welsh. Revival, 100,000 people saved in the first year. I bet you there wasn't 100 saved the year before because the church was dead. Oh, you like this, Rick. Special prayer meetings at the Moody Bible Institute. Students. 
tired of churches, normal. Got together and started praying at school. Then a man, Evan Roberts, went forth when he prayed with great agony, Oh God, bend me. Bend me. Praying in agony. And I got to thinking about my prayer life. Let me get this 15 minutes. I got to pray at least three times a day. Fifth, Lord, I'll make sure I go through my list. No agony, no fight in it. I wasn't scaring nobody. The enemy wasn't scared when I showed up in the prayer closet. And therefore, he didn't have to listen when I pray. When we cast out devils, then we know the kingdom of God is being set up on the earth. Amen. When we go to war in authority and we gain what God has given us, do you all not believe that God wants us to have revival? I, believe it. I remember a year ago, it's written on the stage somewhere, the Sugar Land Revival. It's, that promise is still there. That promise is still there, and God is not reluctant. He is not resisting us. There is an enemy who is resisting us. 25% of the student body that was enrolled was in the prayer meetings. Wow. Did y'all see that video that they went to a college and asked a college student who they thought Jesus Christ was? And most of them said, well, he's a historical figure. But he, it's not my, I mean, he's nothing more to me than that. Just historical. He was probably a good guy. Some guy said he was like the David Blaine of his uh, time. He could do magic. This is how people think that Jesus was. In Portland, Oregon, 240 major stores closed from 11 to 12 each day to enable the people to attend prayer. They even signed agreements that no one would cheat and stay open. Now we, they don't even close on Sunday. They don't even close on holidays anymore. There's nothing sacred anymore. No. And uh, y'all seen that posting? It said Black Friday. It's for those the day after they are thankful for all they have, trample someone else to get a good deal. <laughs> Brownsville. Oh, what was his name? I think he passed away this week. Steve Hill said, I'm afraid many of our ministers are not aware of the personal price that has been paid in prayer prior to this revival and then the discipline which is required after. That they realized it took prayer to get it and discipline to keep it. Revival is when souls are saved, people are healed, and the captives are delivered. That's what revival is. We call it revival, but the Lord calls it the kingdom. Yeah, Amen. that's right. Amen. That's right. Go to James chapter 5, verse 16. You... You quoted this on worship. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is 
powerful and effective. Powerful against what? Twist God's arm so he has to give up the blessings? Or is it so powerful that the Anakites and the Amalekites and the giants tremble when you pray? Do they obey when you speak? Do, you know, Paul we know? I don't know you. I, we know Jesus and we've, we've heard of Paul, but Brent who? You can feed him, but that's it. You can feed him and in an hour go home. You're not setting any of them free. That's what we've been going up against. And God had given me promises. And I don't have them, and it's not because God is resisting. See, salvation of souls is our inheritance. Amen. Healing is our inheritance. Deliverance for the captives is our inheritance. So let's look at what happens when we don't get a healing. Justin was telling me a story of a lady that had cancer and they had brought her in the church and, man, they went all out war. They went all out war. And the lady died. And you first, you know, Faith Cares Max says, well, they didn't believe, they had enough faith. They didn't, well, wasn't God's will. Or it was God's will and they just, they didn't get God to move. The Lord gave me the correct perspective on the whole situation. I've been waiting for this for years. I've been waiting for this revelation for years. This is what the Lord showed me. Let's go to the uh, Judges. Um, what is Judges? 14 chapters? Go to the second to last chapter of Judges. Uh, Judges 20, I'm sorry. I knew there was a 13 and 14 in there. Let me give you an intro of what's going on. They're in the land, right? And there's these Gibeonites, perverted men, just like in the day of Sodom and Gomorrah. And this Levite has his concubine with him, and he goes into this house, and the men show up and said, we want relationships with this man. Send him out. And they were pressing and pushing and it was tough. So he says, this is an abomination. Here's my concubine. So he sends his concubine out. And the next morning, he finds her dead at the threshold. They ravished her. And he said, oh, no. He cuts her body up into 12 pieces and sends it to all the tribes and says, we got wickedness in the land. We got perversion in the land, and God told us to get it out. And then the Benjamites, so this is what it says. Now, they went to Gibeah, which the men of Benjamin, that's their property. That's their inheritance. They're there. Now, surrender those wicked men of Gibeah. They're telling all the nation, all the tribes that went to Benjamin and said, Surrender the wicked men of Gibeah so that we may put them to death and purge the evil from Israel. But the Benjamites would not listen to their fellow Israelites. I mean, they're going to protect this wickedness. Mm-hmm. Jump down to verse 18. And pull it up on the screen for me. It says, Now the Israelites went up to Bethel. What, what is Bethel? 
house of God. They went to God's house. They went inquire of the Lord. The Israelites went up to Bethel and inquired of God. They said, who of us shall go first to fight against the Benjamites? The Lord said, send Judah. How many times we've quoted that before? Send Judah. Okay, well, we got some direction from God. Let's take a look at it. Let's just jump to verse 21. They go up to war, and it says, The Benjamites came out of Gibeah and cut down 22,000 Israelites on the battlefield that day. What? They're fighting a good fight? It's God's will? And they lost how many? 22,000 Israelites. That's 22,000 fathers, brothers, husbands. I mean, these are real people. And they're fighting for righteousness. So how do, you, how, how do you put that in the equation? Is it God's will or is it not God's will? 22,000 failed by the sword. And you say to yourself, must not be God's will. I mean, we, we battle in our minds. So what do you do? You go back and you talk to God. So let's see. Uh, give me verse 22. It says, this time when the Benjamites came out from... Uh, give me 22 because I want to see where they actually talk to God. Uh, it might be 23. The Israelites went up. Now they're weeping. They've lost a battle. They've lost good men. They lost noble Men And they're weeping before the Lord until evening. And they inquired of the Lord. They said, shall we go up again to battle against the Benjamites, our brothers? Because you know what? Maybe, maybe it's because they're our brothers that we lost. Maybe this is not the will of God. And the Lord answered, said, go up against them. Verse 25. So here's the second encounter. This time when the Benjamites came out from Gibeah to oppose them, they cut down another 8,000 Israelites, all of them armed with swords. 40,000 men in two encounters. Wow. I thought it was God's will. What's going on? Can you imagine the conflict that's going on in the people's... Didn't God... Didn't God Tell us to go. Is he not with us? Let's go give me. This is 40,000 dead. They, I mean, seriously, they have every reason to quit and believe that God doesn't move anymore. Well, God doesn't do that anymore, you know. So they go back and inquire of God. Then not just the Israelites that were fighting, but all the people went up to Bethel. And there they sat, weeping before the Lord. They fasted that day until evening and presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings to the Lord. And the Israelites inquired of the Lord. In those days, the Ark of the Covenant was there. With Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, ministering before it, they asked, shall we go up again to battle with Benjamin, our brother, or not? The Lord responded, go, for tomorrow I will give them into your hands. They finally got victory on the third time. They didn't quit the fight. If they would have quit, those men would have died in vain. 
If you quit the fight, they died in vain. I know we lost some faithful men out there. And they were fighting a good fight. And if we quit now, they died in vain. In fact, I believe they're in heaven cheering us on, saying, go get them. Go get the promises of God. Continue to fight. If they fell by the sword, we have a great cloud of witnesses saying, don't fight. Don't quit fighting, little church. Don't quit fighting. Because if you quit, then I died in vain. They are cheering us on. They might have died from cancer. They might have died from whatever. They are cheering us on because they said, the promises is that man would get all the promises of God. And they're cheering us on because they've died in the fight. And if we quit now and we don't obtain the promises, they died in vain. 40,000, they were good men. They weren't out of the will of God. It's war. It's war. war. That's the part of war we don't like. We like a clean war. But we respect our fallen comrades and we continue to fight. Because if we don't, then they died for nothing. We continue to fight. So if you question yourself, well, was it God's will or wasn't God's will? We're going to fight. And if I fall and I, I don't make it to the end of my race because sickness cuts me off, then you guys go on ahead. I will cheer you. On, Because I know that the promises are out there. And if we keep pressing on, we're going to get them. Amen. We're going to get the promises of God. Isn't that a better way to look at it than to ask if someone was in the will of God or not? Or whether That's that, the only way to look at it. They're cheering us on. Because they now can clearly see the powers and principalities at work that were here before the beginning. God put man to have dominion and sent Christ to seat us above those powers and principalities so we can have dominion on the earth. I don't think they're saying, woe is me, I I didn't. They are cheering us on. Mm -hmm. Continue to fight until you get the victory. Give me my last slide. Because there's more to conquer. They went in the land, and in Joshua chapter 13, the Lord said, Joshua, you're old. But there's more land to conquer. And so I think if we would just throw out the question, is it God's will? It's God's will. We have his promises, and he is not resisting us. There is an enemy who is resisting us. And we fight. And if our brothers fall, we stay fighting until we obtain our inheritance. Amen. 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 Amen.